And this is Two on One, the number one rated disciples theological talk show about pop culture and the world in which we live. I am one of your co-hosts, the Reverend Arthur Stewart. And I am your other co-host, the Reverend Stephanie Kendall. And thank you all for joining us today. Yes, thank you for joining us today. I have been waiting for this episode for like a month because it's one of my favorite movies and it's one of my favorite people. And uh, also, you're one of my favorite people too. Stephanie. One of my favorite people too. Yeah, it feels like you were talking about this at the beginning of Lent and somehow 40 days have flown by and uh, <laughs> here we are. Hey, Arthur, happy Holy Week, buddy. Happy Holy Week. And also I'm coming up tomorrow is my 10th anniversary of ordination into Christian ministry, which is pretty cool. I had a friend send me a, a pom-pom and it's now my like go-to cheer. I love so, it. Yeah. It's, it's better than the little like reaction. So. um. I just got to tell you, after Ted Lasso and mm. after all of these just like marvelous guests we're having, this is kind of the perfect Holy Week episode as we are waiting for resurrection and talking waiting for Guffman with Dr. Sarah Maurice Brubaker. So excited. And I had this wacky idea. Okay. Okay. So I'm 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 just two weeks ago we were talking about Catherine O'Hara mm-hmm. because Jeff Wondro Designs makes ex- exquisite liturgical vestments, copes and miters and chasubels, and because Jeff Wondro Designs does custom work. That I could go full Moira Rose at David and Patrick's wedding, and I assure you that I have thought about this so much since the last time you said it. I I assume far more than I, and that's reasonable and fair. So consider this as we again enter the oeuvre of Catherine O'Hara. I was thinking about tie-ins as we talk Jeff Wonder Designs. That they're celebrating 16 years of making Ordinary Time Extraordinary? Yes, and... That they specialize in liturgical textiles, including pyramids, banners, altar cloths, as well as clergy items? Yes, they make stoles for every season and a wide swath of uh, pastors and deacons from denominations and positions and theological interpretations love what they do. So gorge. I love him so much. All I do is like... At least once a week, I like scroll through the catalog. And for our listeners, for those of you that are listening or watching us, you know that you have a special listening code uh, at Jeff One Row Designs at checkout. You go and enter two on one, all one word, all letters, not numbers, or all, yeah, all letters, not numbers, and they'll give you 15% off your entire stole order. Uh, it's a so- stole boom, boom, boom. Stop it. Sewing, crafting. Never stopping, never sleeping, sewing, making, some for selling, some for keeping. Oh, it's going to be an hour, friends. <laughs> an hour. <laughs> Check out jeffwonerow.com after our show today or at any time because the internet is accessible 24 hours a day. It is Holy Week. Y'all, if you are a pastor out there or a faith leader or just or or you're someone that loves one of those people, go to Jeff Wonerow Designs. Get a stool for that person that has worked so hard this Holy Week to make sure that you uh, and your communities are connected and loved uh, well this Holy Week and Easter season. You're worth it. So we thank Jeff One Road Designs for uh, not only 16 years of making Ordinary Time Extraordinary, but being our lead sponsor. Thank you, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Jeff. Alrighty. I am ready to admit Dr. Sarah Maurice Brubaker. So I'm doing so excited. I'm so excited. And here she is. Uh, welcome, Dr. Sarah Maurice Brubaker. We are very glad to have you with us today. Welcome to Two on One. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here with you. 
Oh. We are very excited to have you. And I will just, you know, you and I are meeting for the first time here. And, uh, but Arthur has been talking about the vision of this episode for quite some time. Um, and so I'm awesome. super excited that uh, you are our Holy Week guest and that we get to continue, <laughs> you, uh, you know, waiting for Guffman as we wait for Jesus. So, yes, right. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is a spoiler show, although a movie that came out over a decade ago, I'm pretty sure we're all right on was, spoilers. It was the yeah. 90s, wasn't it? Did you was, think the 90s were a decade ago? Did that I, that happens to me all the time. Uh, well, I already told you that I was not about to name when I actually saw this and how long ago it was. I'm sorry. I forgot about that. <laughs> no, it's I, I remember seeing the trailer in a movie theater and thinking, <laughs> wow, that looks weird. I love it. But... <laughs> Again, we won't talk about how long ago that was. Exactly, because I'm I'm with you. I saw it in the theater, and my in high school, my um my theater group all went and saw it in the theater. So it was very much a uh, it's it, I was like I don't want to name how long ago that was for me, but it has been uh, a part of the repertoire of uh, theater kids for quite yes. some time. Let's just say that sounds like the best possible way to get introduced to waiting for government is to watch it with your theater group in high school. Wow. My best friend Lou called me and was like, Lou is this brilliant musical genius person. He's like, you got to come over and listen to this soundtrack to waiting for government. And I was like, I I thought it was waiting for Godot. I don't know why. And I was like, no, I'm going to pass. I did not see this movie until my now husband had me watch it with him, like on our fourth date. Holy cow. Oh. Yeah. I watched it in high school th- that one time and then because uh, we were then fully formed on rent. And so we like transferred yes. our moment th- momentum there. And then I watched it again for probably the second time in probably 25 years uh, last night. And uh, oh, wow. it is actually 25 years old. So yeah, that makes sense. a quarter century of Guffman. Well, this is oh. a banner. So, Sarah, why did you pick Waiting for Guffman? Why Why is this? I guess you were kind of invited on it, but why Guffman? What's so great about it. <laughs> I uh, I love Waiting for Guffman. I love Christopher Guest and his mockumentary crew. Um, I quote Waiting for Guffman in all situations. I've not yet quoted <laughs> Waiting for Guffman at a funeral. No, no, I take that back. Um, my cousin and I, you know, at my my grandfather's funeral in college, we did a whole scene because when you're there at the visitation for hours, you end up getting a little grief goofy. Um, I just love it. And I saw it before I was a theology nerd and was a theater nerd and loved it then. And then it has stood me in good stead <laughs> through my shift in vocation. Um, it's... Yeah. Well, this is excellent. And um, I, I, I guess I'd like to start us off with a question because I, I think it's vital. Um, with my friend Michael Riggs once told me, the, uh, worship is either good theater or bad theater you choose. Um, and I love the Kierkegaard idea that God is the audience, we are the performers rather than the other way around. So we have this this community theater in Blaine, Missouri that does ridiculous shows Um where where does the church find its theatrics, so to speak? Like how how do we how do we equip the church to to, you know, um, I think of the uh, beginning of Stolboom when they all do like the motion, but they're they're making that face to the audience of like, isn't this silly? And the audience is laughing. Like, where's our theatrics? 
Yeah. <laughs> I um that's funny because I was thinking about this last night and I was going along similar lines. I was thinking about how many of the things I love about theater are the things I love about church. And in particular, the things I've loved about community theater um, <laughs> are the things that I love about just a regular worshiping community of regular folks where um, there, it's not that everyone is like Broadway ready you know, there's some people uh, who have some really impressive skills, but then there's, um, oh, the guy who gives the monologue about beans, you know, <laughs> he started on beans. I mean, there's that guy, right? Like, doesn't every church have a beans guy? Um, <laughs> Ron and Sheila, I feel like I've been in plays with them. I feel like I've gone to church with them. And I just, um, I just kind of love that because community theater, I think is, well, it's right there in the name. Um, the Blaine community players are, are rooted in uh, a town and a wider circumstance that sure they want to do a good job and they have these Broadway dreams. Um, but ultimately what's so wonderful about Red, White and Blaine <laughs> is uh, maybe I would say not the um, stellar script writing that initially piqued Guffman's interest and would have brought him there had there not been snowstorms in New York, but but the relationships and the way that the characters change is, as a result of taking part. Um, and so to the extent that <laughs> the church can do that, I think that's the really marvelous thing. So there's um, the transformative aspect. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I like that. And I guess, I'm sorry, Spiff, would you care to answer this question? I'm, I'm not trying to, and you don't have to, you just shot me a look. Like that, I no, I, I'm just, I, I, I always think it's a really interesting question because I, uh, as a, someone who's trained in theater and who has been to seminary and now pastors, um, the intersection of both uh, is really beautiful. You know, we often forget that scripture was uh, meant to be essentially a performative act, right? It, it, it comes from your diaphragm and your gut. You needed to be an orator to really kind of like share the good news and talk about what God is doing in the world. And so, uh, and now we've, and that used to be something that like you know, a certain sect of people could do, but now it's, it's really, um, it's beautiful that everyone is allowed and can and has access to that, uh, that work. And so for me, what I liked about Guffman and what I remembered about Guffman is that like, it does equip those with not the most expansive gifts, but gifts nonetheless to be empowered to perform uh, for, for themselves and for a community. Um, and that performance in and of itself isn't a bad thing, right? We often think of it as a, being superficial, that you're putting on a performance that it's not authentically you. This could also just be my very threeness talking and my Enneagram threeness talking, but um, there, you know, the authenticity of the performance is really um, part of, of what changes you and how you move and grow from it. One of my very favorite things, and it's kind of like an aside and it's not pivotal to the point, but like at the end when um, uh, Dr. Pearl moves to my, my, to Florida, Yes. Uh, at this one very intentional, very small, you know, kind of very odd part that he plays in, in this larger community space leads him to understand his vocational calling in a new way, in a new space and time. And I'm like that, like that for me is what good performative worship community gathering building does 
even if it pulls you away from that intentional community. And that's where I think the crux is, is because often we as, as community members want to say, you did so well for us and with us, stay here. Stay here and do what you did this last time forever. Forever, yeah. Don't yes. Pass. And so um, for me, that that is really when you hear him say, like, I'm, I'm, you know, I found my love in Florida, whatever he says in that last line. It That's like, that's the good work of of the gospel and the spirit at work in community when you can let them go to really live their best lives. Oh, yes. I love that. And I'm thinking too about how Mrs. Pearl got to know her own husband better in the course of him being in red, white, and plain. Um, and I can only imagine, though, I don't think we see this, that she was supportive. And um, she was saying, you know, I don't usually hang out with with show business time. The creatives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was just <laughs> loving it. So, uh, oh gosh, you've got me wanting to write Dr. and Mrs. Pearl fan fiction now. <laughs> oh, I, I, I would read that. So just like, just in case you're wondering who would read that, Arthur and I are happy to read it. And I'm oh, sure all oh of our, <laughs> our viewers are as well. But we made a Kishka behind the scenes. Yeah. <laughs> so I like that idea of like, <laughs> maybe transformation requires us to move on. Mm. Like it's, it's um, as we talk about resurrection uh, re- a little early and that's okay. Uh, the resurrected Christ is always in motion. The disciples are sent out. The apostles are sent out. I mean, literally apostolos sent. There's not, they don't get to stay where they were and they don't get to stay how they were. Um. And I mean, I understand the the performative aspect. Uh, fun fact or preview in this uh, with the Doctor of Ministry work I'm doing at Phillips, I'm drafting you to be my reader because it's about improvisation and communal uh, worship. And that what sounds great. Yes. In, um, only once, and so there's a there's a finitude, a temporality, a this moment matters in theater. Uh, the yeah. the set gets striked or struck the moment after the last performance ends, it's done. Well, how does the church that is so about permanence and we have a building in the same space and we have a calendar that we know the seasons and we always, how, how do we get impermanence uh, finitude into our, into our praxis? Or is that way out there? Forgive me. I'm, I'm no, right. I actually think, um, I'm going to try this out. I could be way off, but um, the the title, uh, you already mentioned Waiting for Godot, <laughs> but uh, my understanding is that that is meant to, to reference the Beckett play. Um, and so I think about how in Waiting for Godot or Godot, however you, what, wherever you live, um, there's the sense that at once, the title character is absent, but also all surveilling. And mm. I, I doubt that um, Guest and Levy intended to make such a philosophical point because we know that it's largely improvised, but there's a sense in which um, Guffman doesn't get to retain the kind of absent but all present surveilling um, almost Paul that he casts over the proceedings. And that when it turns out that they do get news, like in a way that the characters in Waiting for Godot 
never do. They're just still standing there waiting. But the cast of Red, White, and Blaine <laughs> learns that um, Guffman's not coming. Um, and then, in a way, I think that's what frees them up to move to 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 take what they got from that experience and do something with it out of their own agency rather than just continuing to say, um, let's get stuck in this moment and hope that eventually the absent um, authority figure comes and gives approval. Mm. He's not coming. (laughs) And so now what are you going to do? Yeah. I think think that's one way that impermanence can be brought about. And I, I think maybe there's some impulses towards that in Christian traditions and theology, but of course, then there's also um, the impulse to keep saying, he's coming back any minute, so be good. (laughs) Don't change anything. Jesus is really going to like this mural that was painted in 1970 of Noah's Ark. Right. My great. real art critic, that Jesus. (laughs) Uh, yeah, Jesus will come back and be like, hold up, you got rid of the mural? Oh, well, I, I, I really expect him to be like, why did you think I was white? <laughs> what, what indicated at... Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. When I, right, when... right. Come back and be like, who's Plato? Why are you, why are you explaining my importance in terms of Plato? That's so weird. Oh, you know I was Jewish, right? <clears throat> Well, and I think that that's, that goes back, I think, to why improv within worship is so is is part of the um, the pull for people to come. Right. So uh, that there is an understanding. And so Derrida has this understanding of um, of uh, what's event. Right. So nothing can either. It has to be unique. It can't be created. It can't be destroyed. It's like this all encompassing thing that is unique to that moment. And so uh for me, I always kind of hope that I'm creating a worship experience that is unique, that draws people in because they don't want to miss the work that the Spirit is doing in this community because the Spirit is is one of, of improv, is one of the unexpected. And so to continue to move uh, communities of faith forward in that way, that that, dis- that destructs, allowing the Spirit to move, deconstructs the kind of finite, like the, 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 uh, positionality of the church and how we stay focused, how we stay put in one way rather than move the way that the gospel actually intends us to. I love that. And it's, I'm going to make a lateral move here. <laughs> um, it's making me think of some reading I've been doing this week. Cause we have three, we have concentrated course weeks and then Holy week all in a row. So there's like, if you're not teaching a concentrated course, there's this three week stretch to get research done. So I've been doing a deep dive into Augustine for a book I'm, I'm writing. Um, Derrida to Augustine, to Guffman, of course. It's all obvious. How but um, there, in his sermons, because his group of Christians and the they're called a lot of times Donatists, but that was the, the term given to them by their opponents. So one author I really like refuses to call them that and calls them dissidents. They were dissident Christians as well. Um <clears throat> they kept eyes on each other so much that they would send people to go and like dictate the sermons given by important preachers in the other group. So you, <laughs> there are moments in Augustine's sermons in the text where you can see him changing his tactic based on 
the congregation's reaction, which you don't think of. I mean, I think when I first encountered Augustine, I thought, well, he spoke in treatises <laughs> that were, you know, the words came written in Latin out of his mouth onto pages and there was no person involved. It was just kind of emission of texts. And to, to watch him realizing that an analogy isn't working because he did have a complicated audience to, to preach to. He'd gotten a fancy education, but he wasn't can preaching. You, can you imagine before. Augustine as your preacher? I uh, I would skip the uh, the sermons on concupiscence. I'd be like, thank you. <laughs> that's, that's you, buddy, and God love you. I hope you work on that, but no. <laughs> well, you know, Augustine, he can sing, he can act, he can dance. And there's only one other person on the planet who can do that, and that's Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand, yeah. <laughs> hey, Babs. <laughs> wow, that's, that that's, would be a... For those of you keeping track at home, that's one. So I have a, a kind of a, a question. I don't know if it's adjacent or parallel or even related, but um, <laughs> um, is, it, is it how many babies fit in a tire? Friends, <laughs> how many babies fit in a tire? Theologically, though. Yes. Put your answer. Uh, an infinite number. Yes. <laughs> Put your answers in the comments. We'll read them out loud. God, um, like a tire is very long. <laughs> exactly. What is uh, what is the benefit, or is there a benefit of treating every new member in the church, every person that walks through the doors with the same type of hope and anticipation that this troop treats uh, Guffman, who's who ends up being just this man, Roy Loomis, right? Like <laughs> if, if you treat every person you don't know as, you know, as, as Guffman when they're only a Roy Loomis, uh, you know, oh. what do we, uh, how do we as the church position ourselves in hospitality to, to, offer that expansive hope in the people that we don't know? Oh, I love that question. I'm just imagining everybody who comes in getting a balloon. Exactly. <laughs> Not even a helium balloon, just, just a balloon. Yeah. A balloon. <laughs> that you so take to the infants in your life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, golly. So that's the... When I served a church in Dallas, we had a gentleman who was sleeping under a bush uh, on our property. I was in North Dallas and in kind of north of the hoity-toity part, but not unhoity-toity. Uh, we were next to this progressive, eco-friendly uh, preschool named for Da Vinci called the Da Vinci School. Anyways, the guy that was sleeping under our bush was shoving his empties under the fence, like onto the playground of the preschool. So like the preschool came by and said, can you guys do something about your guest? I said, can we get him a trash can? But our property department decided to trim the, like the bush, like hung down. So they decided oh, to trim yeah. around it and basically take away his shelter. Uh, and I remember I said to the property chair, if that turns out to be Jesus Christ, I'm going to be very pissed off. Um, <laughs> and maybe but that's, I mean, that's the idea, right? Guffman is this, this salvific idea. Yeah. Uh, within the context of waiting for Guffman. So perhaps if I, I'm, I'm just getting that Hebrews 13 from 13, 11, I hate Hebrews. Uh, the <laughs> letter. Um, but the letter. Yeah. I, so yes. I, but I get that, that you may be entertaining angels, I think is what it's you exactly, It's exactly what it is. You may be entertaining angels. You may, you know, like you never know how Jesus is, is showing up in your life. And so, yeah. I don't know, Sarah. 
Oh, I love it. I, um, gosh, I'm thinking about what a different approach that is to visitors than, uh, my kids are teenagers now. So, um, but when we were, you know, a young family and we'd visit a new church, especially an aging one, <laughs> be like, hi, <laughs> come and save our dying church. Yes. And that was not maybe <laughs> the best welcome. <laughs> but but imagining that any new person um, could bring you, gosh, like this fulfillment. I mean, what? so what? What are they hoping for with Guffman's rival? That Guffman will come to this community theater and say, I like this show enough with all its great songs, like Stool Boom. Stool Boom's my favorite song. Like, I not love Stool Guffman, Boom. just generally. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Stool Boom's a great little tune. And <laughs> nothing ever happens on Mars. And say, yeah, I think this is really ready for Broadway. And not only is it ready for Broadway, um, but we want to take the same cast yeah. who, who are not members of Actors' Equity, presumably. Um, like, so it's kind of like, how did they think this was going to work? Was Guffman even, like, why was Guffman even entertaining Guffman? <laughs> There's wait, so many uh, implausible things. But isn't, and that, so, isn't that mystery, though? Like, yeah, isn't, that, isn't that the mystery of our faith? Guffman has come, Guffman has financed, Guffman will move us to New York. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, what is the Broadway equivalent of the church right now, right? So like, who? Ha, what are we hoping that that next stranger, that next angel that we entertain, that next time that we that Jesus walks through our doors and brings us to, what is that that we are hoping? Uh, oh no. Yeah. What if Guffman represents rapture theology? Like the un unparalleled, uninvited. Just, I, I don't think salvation is meant to be logically perceived, but like the ridiculousness of like, yeah, Jesus is going to whisk me off to heaven and let me watch all the sinners burn for seven years because that's how I read Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, hmm. I'm sure that now, was- that's interesting. That's how I read Daniel. So I'm thinking about the textuality of Guffman's reply to Corky. <laughs> we may need to have a Westar Guffman seminar. Ooh, yes. <laughs> that would be fun. I'm not going to lie. I would, I might just pitch it, leave all my attachments and just devote myself full time to the Guffman seminar if that existed. I'm here for it. Yeah. But I, I, you know, for me, I was watching as like, you know, it, we, we talked to little churches about being medium churches. We talked to medium churches about being yeah. big churches. We talked to big churches about being nationally recognized, you know, and, it, and there's these kind of level ups rather than saying like, this is for Blaine. This needs to stay yes. in Blaine and it needs to, you know, it needs to give life in Blaine. And why is it that we're always looking for the what's next and for someone else to bring us into the what's next rather than valuing who we are in the here and now? Gosh, yeah, that's really, really good. I'm thinking now about, so the the tiny little Mennonite fellowship, no pastor, lay led that I'm part of. And I we also belong to a UCC church um, that in the before times we would go to in the morning and then have afternoon church with Mennonites. But, you know, I think about like, what, what would my Guffman be <laughs> for that? And it would be somebody saying like, here is 
a building that's in an area that's like not gentrified, but is close enough to the gentrified area to be cool, but like still have cred. And it's got um, great land that you could have a garden on and you could just like live out this vision of cool, crunchy, progressive um, Christianity that people would write about, you know, and that the seminary would promote and say, look what our professor was involved in. And people would say, wow, you're affiliated with blah, blah, Come famous talk progressive. Every conference and tell us how you did it. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> but I like our little Blaine crowd. Um, and I wonder, is it maybe the case that you, to love Blaine is, is you can't love Blaine. You can't love the idea of Blaine. You can't love Blaine from a distance. You kind of have to actually just know the rhythms of life in Blaine and, and Corky's apartment with the outsized stare and Libby Mae Brown at the DQ. Like you have to just know the specifics. You can't sort of. Well, and if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. But with hard work, we could get that down to three or four. <laughs> I'm not just saying that. <laughs> well, I, I well, and that's that's place again. And that's yeah. the mutual agreement upon what place is. And it's so my favorite. My No, that's not true. I just love that entire movie. Um, when the, he goes to the city council and he says, I need a, what is it? $150,000. Something like that. $100,000. $100,000. I can do this yeah. for $100,000 and our entire budget's 15 grand. I've done ministry. And that includes swimming. swimming. <laughs> no swimming in my show. <laughs> but it's, I've done that. Like, and uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm having conversations right now. We're restarting our youth and children's ministry. And it's finding this balance between this will this requires a five year investment, not only in time and staff and material, but in believing the church is worth sustaining at the level we're doing it and beyond for five years. Um, And I think. I don't know, I I know that Blaine couldn't raise one hundred thousand dollars if they tried. But also the he was almost laughed out of the room. He was laughed out of the room. Essentially. It's. I don't well, know. Why do we, why do we underfund things at their value? Right. Like, cause that's the value of a, a you know, a, a medium sized show, you know, a community theater show. Like it costs a, a decent chunk of money to put on theater. The arts are underfunded. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, that's a full stop. The arts are underfunded friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but you know, you know, so like, why do we laugh directly at people who are asking honest requests mm-hmm. or maybe not laugh, but why do we not even entertain them? Why was, why was, oh my gosh, this is such a meaningful thing for our community. You need way more money than we have. Let's think about how to do this together. Right. Do we allow as the church, big C and little C church for 
new creatives, new leaders within our midst to actively and faithfully value the work that needs to be done, uh, even when it's in opposition to the work that we are, or not opposition, but just in creative maybe conflict with the work that we are doing already, which I think I saw a lot this last year for communities that were like, we don't want to go online. Like, that's just not who we are. We are in-person people. And it's like, but you gotta, and they're like, well, how much is it going to cost? And it's like, well, what is the cost? What is the cost of community to you? Right. Cause that's the answer that you need to find for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wonder if what, you know, what is the, what do we think that the at large uh, conversation and question is of why do we, or do we allow new people in our community to thrive faithfully um, in the midst of in the midst of financial insecurity. So they don't have to go home and bite their pillow ideally. Yeah. 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 So now I'm thinking about Larry Miller's character. Yes. Um, I can't remember the character's name. Is he the city manager? He's on the town council. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, he's an interesting guy because it, it seems like he's he controls some access to the um, the resources, but you know he's he's not a very broad-minded thinker. It's not even really clear what he wants, except to kind of posture himself in a certain way in the room. So, am I remembering correctly that he is the biggest obstacle? Right, he's the one who says. Corky, and he kind of scoffs. The other guy, the and that's Barbara Streisand. That guy, yeah. you know, he seems Corky's, to be rooting Corky's for Corky, Corky, but sort of saying like, "We don't have that much money." Um, and what's her name, Fagan, the one? I'm not just saying that because I am a Fagan. You know, she's sort of nodding sympathetically, like, <laughs> "Well, and she gets like we white ladies learn to do." <laughs> She gets to because she's related to the person that started the town, right? So there's another question in there too, is like, what does legacy, what role does legacy play in our communities? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we have Larry Miller as the gatekeeper. Um, We have, what's her name? Fagan, as she says, like, I certainly know how the Kennedys feel. Um, (laughs) Well, they're, they're and that's, that's the danger. Yeah, yeah. Every church has owners, whether they mean to or not, but it's gatekeeping and it's legacy. And it's, why would you come into this community and think you can affect change? You're going to do what we allow you to do by default or on purpose, and you're going to be happy with it. I wonder if she, like, it might have been interesting to see her character object to treating something as serious as the life of Blaine Fagan and the founding of Blaine with something as lighthearted as a musical. You know, I could imagine that. I could imagine it going that way. It didn't, but. Speaking of Blaine Fagan. Okay. Yes. Can we, can we, can we talk about, yeah, we're in California. We're clearly not, but we're settling. Um, you smell the salt air. I, what what do we what do we do with people who set up tents in trauma? Oh wow! Blaine, Blaine is founded on not only a lie but a con. Yeah, um, I, I I we we all have people who are refugees. Uh, to borrow from Katie Hayes from a few weeks ago, we have refugees in our community who only. What do we do? How do we? I guess the right way is how do we resurrect trauma? Or how do we resurrect from it without dishonoring it and without 
leaving it behind. Right. Well, I think so part of it here. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just thinking like part of it is that we, we, uh, we, oh, you go, you go, Sarah, because I just lost my first train of thought. Oh, well, I was just thinking, would, would the analogy be um, people who just their whole identities are kind of formed around an idea of Jesus was about being accepted into your heart so that you individually could go to heaven instead of hell when you die mm -hmm. and then realize, well, that's anachronistic and Jesus would not have made any sense of that. And that's actually very American and it's been very harmful. And most Christian, like most of the time there's been Christianity, that would be an unrecognizable idea um, and then have to contend with that. Or is it more like, people who've been traumatized by and in the name of that mm. vision, even if they didn't, didn't share it themselves or both. Well, I mean, I know, I know a lot of gays um, in the church, uh, a lot of them. I, I would argue that uh, probably my time at Bright and Phillips has introduced me to a disproportionate amount of former Baptists, Pentecostals, and non-denominational Christians who knew they were gay who were told they were wrong, um, that they were, you know, at fault. Um, and they either they needed to get right or get left or they needed to leave. Um, and what happens is, and it's, it's funny to me because I always talk about starting like the big gay dinner club, um, of just doing like a dinner church only for, for ex fundamental queers, um, which would be a marvelous meal thinking about it, but it would be, there's there's like this this seed that gets planted and it can't it might blossom really beautifully it might even have some cuttings that are are, are valuable or or medicinal but it's it's this it's insidious mm -hmm. um and it's just it's so being in Blaine it's the, I just love when they show it in the musical of like yeah smell the salt air and it's I, I mean Missouri is as far from California as you can get. <laughs> Uh, by the way, Sarah Maurice Brubaker and I are both from St. Louis, so I'm super excited. Uh, and I will use the word Hoosier, which um, has to come out at some point. Yeah, which means something different in St. Louis than it does anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And see, and I'm from California, so well, that's... There you go. I, I you sure know, we, we Well, and I loved at the very end. So two thoughts on that. One, what, you know, in response to you, how do we grow from trauma or how, out of trauma is we can't idolize it, right? Like we can't mm -hmm. allow the councilwoman thing to... to, to to live into this understanding that she has some sort of, you know, claim over what is happening in blame because she is a direct descendant, right? Like we've got yeah. to cut these types of things off. We, it's why it goes back to the church being able and being needed to renew itself um, on a larger level. Um, and then, and it also kind of, for me, this goes back to a little bit of, is it Libby May? Is that her name? Parker Posey. When yeah. she said, you know, I'm always welcome back at the Dairy Queen. Yeah. Um, that for me, like that is that growing spaces where it's like, you can always lean back into your really terrible theology, but if you're moving with Jesus, you're, you're going to, you're in the play, you have the hopes of Broadway. And while your Dairy Queen upbringing and hospitality services may inform the way in which you perform your role in this space, uh, it, this you always, 
you always have the ability to go back on that comfort and which is your privilege and, you know, some of that trauma and all of that for whatever. Yeah. Reason. And so welcome back at the Dairy Queen. You're always welcome back at the Dairy Queen. I did not expect it to be so deep of a pastoral statement. Wow. And, but it's a different Dairy Queen in a different state. Yes. So that she could live with her dad who's no longer incarcerated. But yeah. it's, it's exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> Same it tasks is, required over. But it also has given her, you, you notice in her monologue, the very first monologue is like, we do, dare, you know, blizzards and blah, 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 and, and hamburgers. Okay. And then this next one, at the end, when she's back at the Dairy Queen, her time in Red, White, and Blaine and her time of that um, coming into herself allows her to think, at least in her own context, bigger, right? She's like, I'm, I'm wondering what type of new dessert treat I can, yeah. I can create. Like a really healthy yeah, she wants a she wants a healthy chocolate shake. Exactly. <laughs> but so it is, it's it's going back to where she is, but she has changed, right? So that yeah. even when we lean back into the comforts of of whatever our privileges are, like you, she knows more now. And so she's accountable to her own self and knowledge, uh, even when she goes back uh to the Dairy Queen. So, so worship should be transformative. You should not yeah. leave anything at a church the same as when you left or same as when you came. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. 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 And I'm also thinking about Bonnie. Cause you mentioned the uh, ex fundamentalist queer dinner party. I mean, Which so Corky is like, what's that? I said, we have people on the chat wanting to come to this, wanting to come <laughs> to the big day dinner party. So, Excellent. well, I need to see who's in the chat saying that. So, <laughs> Hey, you've launched a new ministry right here. There you go. <laughs> But, you know, Corky's wife, Bonnie, wife, Bonnie, who nobody ever sees, the other unseen character, Bonnie, whose clothes he buys. Um, and I got Bonnie the pantsuit. The, <laughs> right. Um, so at the end, he's back in New York running his little shop. And I got to think, you know, maybe, maybe he's not... Um, Maybe he didn't bring Bonnie with him, so to speak. Maybe in New York, running his show business-themed musical theater shop, he's able to be a little freer about himself and his identity uh, than I, he was in Blaine, Missouri. He showed up. He got off the boat with only a dance belt and dance belt. a chapstick. Chapstick. Isn't that how you travel? I'm pretty sure. Uh, That's how we all travel, right? Well, yeah, and I came to Blaine, and I thought maybe I'd be a construction worker. So, or what was it? What with those hats? <laughs> can we talk about masculinity for a second and Corky St. Clair? Of, I mean, it's so. First of all, if you haven't read it, Kristen Capstumez did Jesus and John Wayne about white evangelicalism, but it's really about masculinity. And the just perturbed way it happens. Kristen Demez, I know you're not watching right now, but you should come on two on one. Um, you don't know. They might be. Yeah, you're right. Uh, please respond to my email. Uh, it's so quirky St. Clair is not masculine, period. Um, he is. And one of the big gags is when uh, Savage drops out of the show and he takes, I'm going to go fight in the war. Um, to fight and perhaps to die so that. <laughs> Young men from here to Timbuktu can feel the wind of freedom blowing in their hair. This is amazing. 
Um, I've watched it a lot. So here for this, Corky, we want you to live. My, my husband did comment on our on our feed, and I'm glad he's watching. Yeah, hey, um, I love it with with theater because you can be whoever you want to be. It, this is made in the '90s, and I, what I love about it is it's not playing Corky St. Clair being a, a member of the queer community as a joke. Like, there's no, there's no in a, there's no dehumanizing humor about it. He's just weird as hell, and he's also probably not heteronormative. Um, how do we? See, so this is where I'm going to crack on the question. I apologize. What does it mean that people love the shows, that they sit through it, that they're celebrating it, that they're there to support the weirdest man in town who happens to be, um, what does it mean for Corky to be allowed to be confident in who Corky is and for people to just accept him? I guess what's, wh- where's acceptance versus tolerance in this model? What, what are we, what do we see? That wasn't it. Oh. Sorry. This is incidentally why I don't teach because I have to be, there has to be like a real answer to questions, not just like. No, there doesn't. (laughs) Not in theology. The old joke about the difference between a philosopher and a theologian is the philosopher is looking at midnight in a dark room with the walls painted black for a black cat that isn't there. And the theologian is looking at midnight in the dark room, the walls painted black for a black cat that isn't there and finds it. (laughs) (laughs) In theology classes, there's no right answer. Um, I I wonder, so in my kind of canonical, my head canon about Blaine, um, because I, because I find Blaine so charming and the character so familiar, um, it reminds me a lot actually of the church I grew up in. Um, which wasn't in a small town. It was in Ferguson, actually. Um, But a lot of the same kind of Midwestern, not not particularly yet having their finger on the pulse, you know, like, but but getting there um, and having attitudes that, that would be stated one way, but if you were in the group, wouldn't be, you know what I mean? So... What I'd like to imagine, which is probably not very realistic, is that most people knew Bonnie didn't exist and um, were allowing Corky to maintain the the fiction. Yeah. But I know that's probably well, not I mean, the case. And communities do it. Like, I mean, I have yeah. There's a video somewhere of um, this kid you know, at his bar mitzvah, uh, doing a dance to, I think it was a Vogue. Um, okay. Like, yep. Little gay boy. That's fine. And communities know it and they're not surprised by it and they're not going to condemn it overtly, but they're not going to condone it. And I don't know if And they're not going to nurture it. Yeah. 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 So didn't you want them to get together though? Corky and, um, the guy who obviously had a crush on him. Um, Go with him to New York, help him run his store. So this is this is an extra canonical question, I suppose. It's it's within the it's within the realm of the the Christopher Guest verse. It's not it's Guffman adjacent. Okay. <laughs> um, Let's bring the, the conversation to eleven. 
Yes. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, it, it's blowing peace and freedom. It's blowing you and me. <laughs> um, so one of the big things Netflix is proud of is they got Christopher Guest to do mascots a few years yes. ago. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wasn't going to work because Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara were starting this little show in Canada called Shit's Creek. Um, and it, it wasn't very good. It was, they brought in new, com- new comedians and new comedians rely on vitriol. And yeah. there's just none of that in Guffman. But Corky St. Clair came back. Yes, that's um, right. I only saw it once, but I remember now. And Parker Posey said in an interview, she said, Christopher Guest did this to me because I needed to see I needed to see Corky St. Clair again. I was going through stuff in my life and I just I had I had to have it. And he did that for me. I didn't know that. That's how, so beautiful. How do we how do we respectfully one, how do we ask for help? Because sometimes it's just, I need to see Jesus. Yeah. Um, and two, how do we show back up for people who have left us? He yeah. says in a time of pandemic and COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Right. On Holy Week. <laughs> yeah. And when they're predicting, like, I'm sure you've seen the thing making arounds. Like, listen, guys, a lot of people aren't going to come back to church. They're out of the habit. They realize they don't miss it as much as they thought they would. And if we're going I to miss it terribly. Online, but... just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's really I didn't know that story. I did know that Christopher Guest and Eugene Levy make sure that they that everyone gets paid the same in all of those documentary or mockumentaries. Um and and so I'm wondering it seems like the material conditions of your life together create opportunities or could foreclose on opportunities to say mm-hmm. like, I need help. <laughs> so I could see how being part of a, a group that <clears throat> works collaboratively and um, shares income equally and <laughs> kind of takes equal responsibility for the story, then also um, makes it okay to say, I really need to see Corky again. <laughs> Can you show up as quirky? And that it's, I think for us in part of like what we're doing, especially as faith leaders, like sometimes we get really cerebral, we get really into like the metaphor or whatever. And sometimes we just need to be like, yo, Jesus is here. Yeah. Like, and to, and to, to really like a couple of weeks ago, I, you know, I was preaching and I was just like, AAPI hate is a sin. Like, and you just got to like full stop it. Right. You got to yeah. Sometimes we we love because Jesus speaks in parallels and metaphors and all of that. We think that that's the way in which we also have to teach. And so and and that's sometimes true because it's helpful to see like new parallels and old, you know, uh, allegories all come together. But sometimes you we need to turn around and say that man in the bushes is Jesus. We need yeah. to say for our own spirit, for our own faith life and for our own understanding of how Jesus works in community. We just need to come out and say, I need Jesus. Jesus is here and this is in that way. In the same way that, you know, sometimes you need to say, you know, for whatever it is for each of us, like sometimes you just got to go watch the thing that brings you comfort and joy. Parker Posey says, I need to see, uh, I need to see Corky St. Clair today. And there he is. And we have access to it. And so I think that, you know, it's part of it is just to, deconstruct enough to get out of our own way and say, say these things in a way that people need to hear sometimes, which is plainly uh, and with, 
emphasis on the present, that it's not the things that we are doing now to get Jesus to come, but it is the things we are doing today with Jesus that will, in fact, affect who we are as a worshiping community and a faith body uh, for whenever this new version of Jesus comes back or for for the kingdom, for heaven, for whatever thing you want to point toward. <laughs> For the final performance. And I think yeah. that Yeah, for the final performance. Which gets back to what you were both saying earlier about improvisational worship and, and the improvisational nature of community. Um, because I'm thinking about how in improv there's the rule like don't know but always say yes and so if somebody says, you know, hey, great ball game we're at, and you're improv you don't say ball game, what are you talking about? We're at a pharmacy, because then- how are, how are you so it. stupid that you think we're at a ball game? Yeah. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. and I think um, one danger of, of having a BA in religious studies, a master of theological studies, and a PhD in theology, and then being employed as a teacher of theology and some kind of supposed expert is that, um, <clears throat> and maybe especially, on the progressive side of things, I can really get into the trap of thinking that my job is to disabuse. Mm. And sometimes Mm. my job is to disabuse, but I can't always be no budding, you know, whether it's in the theology classroom or in a worshiping community or a lay led fellowship of Mennonites that meets on zoom. Um, Just saying no, but we're, we're not at a ball game or at a pharmacy. Like you can't, that's not um, co- constantly correcting people <laughs> isn't very winsome. And it's also not necessary. I mean, if there's not something hopeful, if there's not something to be excited about, then quit, do something else. <laughs> I mean, I know it's easier said than done. I too like to have health insurance and an income, <laughs> but um, you know, if all it's about is, is saying, well, we're going to go to our graves feeling superior to the religious right because they're stupid <coughs> not. Like, nah, that's, find another, if, if that's all that's left of Christianity, like, find <coughs> someone to Zumba. Do Zumba. Zumba communities are great. Do that instead. <coughs> but if there is something liberating and exciting and life-giving that's, that has to do with Jesus, um, and say yes and Say yes and to Jesus. Yes, I love it. Say yes and to Travis giving us a a video or a music for our final question that we're coming into. No, he actually, he he texted me about it. He's not going to do it, to which I said to him, well, then I just hate you and your ass face, Travis. (laughs) We actually asked our general minister and president if she could take away his standing for not writing. I did not ask that. I want to point out. I did not. I'll let you, if you want, I wrote a song about heresies. You're welcome to it. Um, Yes. But as we are uh, pivoting into our final question, uh, Dr. Sarah Maurice Brewerbaker, we are so grateful for you. And thank you for this. This is so much fun. I loved this. Incredible conversation. So fun. Um, So thank you. And thank uh, you. So as is, as is our tradition, and as you are our guest, you get to answer first our final question, which is what biblical story, theme, character, book are you most reminded of in Waiting for Guffman? Uh, I'm reminded most. You said biblical? Yeah. Okay. 
Um, I'm reminded of the deeply ironic ways that it's possible to interpret Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, because Guffman never showed up. And yet Guffman, in his absence, is with every single one of the characters for the rest of their lives. Ron and Sheila try to go pro. <laughs> they leave Blaine. Um, Dr. Pearl is singing Booby Mae to Kishka at the retirement center. And even Libby Mae Brown is, you know, fanning her chicken wing, but in a different place at a different <laughs> deep. And thinking about how to make a healthy shake. So, and Corky's in New York. Johnny Savage, he doesn't really change, but that's because he didn't see it through. Um, and I think that, you know, the town is, is changed as well. So, and then Corky shows up in mascots, so... Um, yeah, so I think that that coincidence of presence and absence, where the enduring presence ends up being a deferral, a kind of endless deferral, and that is actually the mode in which Guffman or God, you know, same diff, are with us <laughs> to the end of the age, whatever that means. I love it. It's great. <laughs> Arthur, you want to go? You want me to go? Yeah, I'll go. Um, I so I'm. I love that the gospel of John tells a story that is parallel, but like even the disciples are changed out. Um, and I like that we know, I, I used to be very obsessed with the apostle Matthias because literally he just won a coin toss. Like that's, that's, <laughs> that's what we know about him is that he won a, he won a coin toss. Um, and they're like, you're not Judas's carrot. Come on in. There's people in red, white, and Blaine who walk behind the, the number stool boom, spinning the gears and yeah. standing in the crowd waving at William McKinley and we have no idea who they are they don't they don't even get like mentioned in passing and yet the show without them would be less than yes it's it's a little piece of perspective for me i've always liked matthias because and james the lesser because like they did something we don't know what it was <laughs> but they did something so spiff uh, so mine is a little, uh, it's a nuanced uh, from a quote. I, I have equated Ron Albertson is the disputed epistles because he knows the script, but decides that whenever there's an opening to just throw in a line from any show that he knows. So, um, I'm pretty that's, sure that's Colossians. No, it's not. It's Ephesians. <laughs> so for me, uh, Ron Albertson uh, who just says, you know, uh, whenever there's an opening in a line, I just throw in, uh, you know, something that I know, even if it's not from that show, that for me is the disputed epistles. <laughs> you know, I don't know if uh, I've seen this recently. I'm actually reading through Second Corinthians very slowly. Uh, no, I, I bring that up every week because it's funny. Okay, where are we? I'm pulling up our promo graphic because Please. we do want to note that Two on One is sponsored by Jeff Wanro Designs. I need to share my screen or else you don't get to see it. Only I get to see it. So uh, there we go. Jeff Wanro Designs is our lead sponsor. We're very glad that he is celebrating 16 years of making ordinary time extraordinary. Check out jeffwanro.com. Uh, that is an invitation to you, Sarah. Lay-led yeah. night churches can totally use stoles as much as anyone else and to our listeners and viewers. Ooh. So you get 15% off your stole order if you use the code two on one, all one word at checkout. I'm totally checking it out right after this. Yes. Perfect. Thank you so, so, so very much for being. Thank you both. Uh, we next. Yes. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. 
No, I want I want you to talk about our our resurrection series. Yes, so uh, next month, uh, you know, or next week, which is next month, which is oh gosh, so many things. Uh, our first post resurrection two on one. Uh, we will be talking about the boy who lived. Uh, we have Harry Potter from the perspective of a Hufflepuff uh, coming at you with Rachel Noel Johnson, um, who I'm very excited to bring in. Uh, and then after that, we have Charles. Anthony Bryant coming for Harry Potter uh, from the perspective of a Ravenclaw. And uh, if you are a Gryffindor or a Slytherin out there in a faith community, hit me up, hit us up, let us know. Uh, We are doing a month long series of uh, Harry Potter through the understanding of your house. Mm -hmm. Uh, And remember it's pronounced two on one, not two wound one. Uh, And this has been a Leviosa joke working on it. Um, Thank you. (laughs) 